We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by Abulas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They'll talk about topics like the state of boxing and Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champion. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcasts. Episode in English out on Tuesday. Episodes in Spanish out on Wednesday. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'll say more so of a bad throw, but it goes back to the anticipation. I knew I was going to get hit. I knew, you know, what route he was running. But that's just a, a, a thing that, you know, I didn't see it all week in practice. And knowing what he had, but, you know, him being faced with different circumstances of the coverage and the leverage of the defender, you know, it's just I have to be better. I want to make that perfectly clear. You know, I have to play better football for the New England Patriots, and I will. I, th- I think any competitor uh, in this position, you know, I, I, I heard a person say once, you know, I don't point fingers, you know, I point thumbs. And with that being said, I take full responsibility of where we are as offense and, and, and knowing here moving forward that I will, it starts with number one, and I will be better. Not, not, And that doesn't mean I'm going to do more and, 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 and press the issue. It's just, you know, doing the small better. And I think I can do a better job of that. Welcome, everybody, to the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Ben Volin from the Boston Globe. Talking about Tua taking over the Miami Dolphins, the storyline in the AFC East. Man, was it a wild week. Look at a week six. The AFC East, Chris, might be one of the most closely contested divisions 
Yeah, Miami is uh, is making a play. Three it's and three, shocking, and, you're, and you're three and three, and you're going to a rookie. You look at the standings. The Bills are sitting at four and two in first place. In first place with a one game lead in the division. But man, if the last two weeks didn't do a number on the psyche of our fans and you, <laughs> it's all based on when the game ends and how much alcohol I've had. After back-to-back weeks of watching our team take the proverbial shovel to the face, fans are reaching for silver linings. And they may have some considering that after losing a pair of games against the AFC's contenders, what, last year's Super Bowl winner? Yeah. The Super Bowl of the AFC runner-up? NFC runner-up? They don't have another test of that magnitude for weeks. Then you look at the Dolphins. They're in second place at 3-3. and True to our friend Elf Arteaga's word, Miami isn't buying the narrative that they're in a rebuilding year. They're winning the games they're supposed to win, and in doing so are just a game out of first place. Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't perfect, but when he's slinging it well, they can play defense. It, it kept them in games, and now they've made a monumental decision. Chris, I'd argue almost a franchise course-altering decision. Yeah, I mean, you you kept playing Fitzpatrick and did a finish with a six and ten, seven and nine type of season. Eight, eight. Yeah, and then you're, that's what we would expect. Yeah, and you're a- you're drafting top fifteen, and then also holding the Texans' first round pick. Yes, they're gambling here, and I I don't know how to feel about it. Then you look at the Patriots. That's right, the New England Patriots. It's crazy that we're even talking about this. The Patriots are in third place in the AFC East. Let that breathe for just a second. (sighs) They lost what was a field goal festival to a single-win team at home in October. Injuries are mounting for a team that already had shaky depth. (laughs) Chris, where's the silver lining if you're the New England Patriots? I have no idea. We're going to find out tonight. And then the Jets at 0-6, fourth place. I mean, what can we say here? I haven't seen anything like this since Vince Young's infamous 0-8 season, where Kerry Collins got brought in mid-season and almost brought them back to the playoffs. I got news for you, Titans. Uh, Titans. I got news for you, Jets fans. There ain't no Collins. He ain't coming. There's nobody coming. Not even Todd Collins. This is like that thing where there's like, hey, pick door one or pick door two. And if you open both doors, you find out you still get punched in the face. <laughs> like, that's what the Jets are dealing with right now. And as we talk about the basement dwellers in the AFC East, we have Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet to come talk with us about how the Jets fared this week as they lost to the Dolphins 24-0. Scott, how you holding up over there? I think basement's a little too kind. Is there something lower than the basement, Drew? I mean, six feet under in a coffin. Let's run this back. (laughs) The Jets have the worst scoring differential in the NFL with negative 110 points. And they're being talked about as potentially the worst team ever, which would take the mantle away from the 1976 Buccaneers by virtue that, well, the Buccaneers were an expansion team in an era where the NFL really didn't have an idea of how to grow a franchise from the ground up. This New York Jets team was intentionally designed, and it might actually be sadder. 
<laughs> yeah, there's not really much that you can say beyond what's already known in terms of how sad this is. It's funny because I just recorded a show with Manish Mehta from the Daily News, and he posted something in one of his articles, and it went through all the rankings for the Jets for their offense, and it was like 32, 32, 32, 32. At a certain point, my eyes started to glaze over. I thought it was just a big rerun. The thing is, the defense really isn't any better. It's just so bad. And, and the funny, funniest part is everybody wants Gase to be fired. But the answer would be Greg Williams. And Greg Williams' defense has been one of the worst units in the league this year, too. So it's sort of like east of the, uh, the rock and west of the hard place here in terms of the coaching situation. Look, the trade deadline is coming up. They already traded Steve McClendon. There's some whispers now about Avery Williamson. I'm sure we'll hear some more whispers <laughs> about some other players, perhaps Marcus May, guys like that. How many more Jets can you guys hemorrhage? What is happening here? It's, is it a fire sale? Well, the thing is, though, let's be real. There really aren't that many players that are worth – getting for other teams, right? You could probably name on one hand, other than obviously Becton and Quinn and Williams, those guys aren't going, getting traded. Beyond that, who are the Jets trading? Maybe Marcus May, maybe Jordan Jenkins, maybe Brian Poole. That's about it. I don't think they have anybody else that anybody else that, that any other team would want. Maybe Jamison Crowder, but that's one of the few guys that I would say the Jets shouldn't trade. So at this point, yeah, I think – Fire sale is a little strong because I don't think they're going to just give guys away. But if you want one of the guys on the Jets, you should probably make a phone call to Joe Douglas right now because I would think that most of those guys could be had for the right price. See, watching Sunday's game, I'd be afraid some of the stink would just carry with them. I feel like they would bring that like COVID into my football team and infect <laughs> us with whatever the hell happened to you guys on Sunday. I'm watching this football game. I'm flipping back and forth. First of all, the quarterback change. <clears throat> I saw some optimistic Jets fans out there, as there tends to be for every franchise, the lunatic fringes, who were talking about how Flacco was the spark this team needed. He wasn't a change of pace. He wasn't a spark. He wasn't any coach-speak term you want to throw around for the Jets. Uh, he was... <laughs> Honestly, here's what I thought. I watched him on third down take an unexpected snap from the center as he's lined up in shotgun yelling at the wide receivers to get in their spots because the line, they're lined up improperly. He's yelling at them, and the center snaps the ball, and then he just gets dogpiled on for a five-yard loss. And I watch him climb out of this pile and look up at the scoreboard and just shaking his head, and I can see it written on his face. He's wondering... Why the hell didn't I just retire? Why am I here? <laughs> what the, the quarterback change, the Flacco experiment? Can we say that that's firmly dead? Well, the only thing I'll say is it's not like the quarterback change came because Adam Gase was looking to make a spark or anything like that. And I don't know which Jets fans you're talking to that thought of it that way because. I, I, that to me seems insane. The reason the quarterback change happened is because Sam Darnold's injured. So that that's really what that's about. Look, I said this to you guys last week. 
Joe Flacco's 35 years old. He's coming off neck surgery. Anybody that expected anything better than what they got from him last week was kidding themselves. You had to figure it was going to look more like it did this week, where last week he was okay. This week he was straight up terrible. And I don't know what anybody else would expect. Look, anytime you have a backup quarterback in there, you have to figure that you're going to have a major downgrade no matter who your starter is. But Flacco, like I said, is 35. He's got a bad neck, and that's really where where we're at with him. Chris, He's just a guy that at best was going to not be embarrassing. He was embarrassing against the Dolphins, so that's where that's at. But, yeah, there's no spark. I don't know who said that, but that's crazy. He was there because Darnold was hurt. Nothing more, nothing less. Chris, he's trashing Joe Flacco right now. I want it noted that Joe Flacco went for 47% completion percentage, three sacks, and 186 yards. Uh, He threw more yards than our quarterback did this week. (laughs) I mean, I just want that noted. But no, the Jets team as a whole was just... When is Darnold coming back? When when is Darnold coming back, and do either one of these quarterbacks actually want to go out there? That's probably the better question. (laughs) From what I understand, it's week to week with Darnold. They just want to make sure that he doesn't have any pain in the shoulder. Essentially, they're playing it cautious with him, which they should because they're 0-6. They haven't even been competitive, so really what's the rush? Just take your time. Let him come back when he's comfortable. From what I understand, there's a good chance he doesn't play again this week, but who knows for sure. And I don't think any Jets fan really cares anymore, <laughs> let's no. be honest. No, well, nor <laughs> so, should you, because when you look at the overall production your team has given you, first of all, undisciplined play. I yeah. don't know if this is a product of backups being in the game. You guys took seven penalties for 80 yards and in the process are now officially the NFL's most penalized team, both in number of flags and total yards against. I mean, this... We, we talk every week about how Adam Gay should be fired, and he's not. This is damning. This is a team that has lost control of even the fundamentals of football. I mean, that's pretty much all you can say. This is really bad. I mean, like I told you guys last week, people are debating whether or not this is worse than Kotite. I still think Rich Kotite was a far worse coach. He took a playoff-caliber team to one win. He had four wins in two years. Gase had seven just last year. But the fact that I even have to have this discussion shows you how bad things are right now. The reality is, like I said, you've got very few players on this team that you are going to be convinced will be here in three years. Becton, Quinn, and Williams, and that's about it. I like Crowder. Will he be here in three years? I don't know. Denzel Mims, we haven't even seen him play yet, so who knows how that pans out. The rest of the guys they drafted, I mean, I think the punter Braden Mann will probably be here in three years, I guess. By the way, he was the shining star. What a workout for him. (laughs) Ten punts for 462 yards. At one point, he was on pace to break the record, which is 16 punts in the game. So that was good stuff. Yeah, look, the defense can't stop anybody. We talked about this. Everybody will say, oh, well, they, they actually did okay against the Dolphins if you look at the yardage and such. But the truth is... The Dolphins are really not that good of an offense, and they still got gashed, especially Miles Gaskin looked like Barry Sanders at points during that game. 
So you watch the Jets in all three phases. And look, I love Brant Boyer, the special teams coach, but special teams is a mess too. So the defense can't stop anybody. The offense can't put any points on the board. Special teams is making blunders, which has traditionally been one of the few things that you know the Jets can't screw up. And like you said, I think they're far and away the worst team in the league. I don't see how you could say otherwise. So here's the question. We've all been heaping, and deservedly so. Wow. The last beer kind of got stuck in my throat. So so we've been heaping all this blame at the doorstep of Adam Gase. But then I take a, I take a farther step back and I say, okay, well, I, I watched Brashad Perryman limping around the sidelines during this game. He's hurt now. I mean, the Jets as a franchise have a history of dubious free agent acquisitions. Like all franchises do, but the Jets are bad. And there's a hierarchy involved in this. And when yep. I, I was going to ask you about where Perriman ranks in terms of free agent busts, especially watching Anderson go play his ass off in Carolina. Mm-hmm. But as I'm watching that, as I'm thinking about it, I start thinking bigger picture. This was a team that just lost its star running back in Le'Veon Bell. Like, you're one of your prize free agents out of the spending spree you guys went on just two years ago when you were building this team. You, know, you guys had all the money. The Bills had all the money. We spent differently. The Bills spent in the trenches. You guys spent on skill players. And we long debated whose philosophy was going to bear fruit. You've now lost one of your star acquisitions. By nature of the fact that he simply didn't feel like he was getting the run he wanted because your GM allowed the signing of a player like Frank Orr. He had the the, the rubric was set. You had Bell, Le'Veon Bell, and you had LaMichael P. Ryan. And you had some other players in the pipeline that you could have added in, but here's a young back who could learn how to play the game behind a true three-down back Bell Cow type player. And then your GM allowed them to shoehorn Frank Gore in there, knowing that he was going to run Frank Gore more often than Le'Veon Bell, and that it was going to hurt things, and he let it happen anyway. And then as you watch the roster construction, more and more, this is starting to look bad for Joe Douglas, wouldn't you say? Just to circle back quickly to Brashad Perriman, I can't really kill him for this particular game. He was open a lot, and Flacco just couldn't hit him. It was embarrassing. Some of those throws were awful. Perriman was open a ton, if you go back and look at the film. So I I can't crush him for that. But obviously, I was all in favor of keeping Robbie Anderson. And I've said many times, for what they ended up paying Perriman, they easily could have signed Perriman and kept Robbie Anderson if they wanted to. So that was a big mistake. As far as Bell, look, you know what the story was there. Gase didn't want him, so Gase decided to be a petulant child and try to prove his own hypothesis correct. And with Frank Gore, I was nervous about this when they signed him. Joe Blewett and I had a conversation, and Blewett was like, well, who cares? He'll have like three carries a game. He'll be (laughs) a good locker room leader, all that. But I said, look, we know Gase. He's going to lean on Gore way more than he should, which is obviously exactly what's happened. Once again, you look at what happened with Gore. He had 15 touches to nine for P. Ryan, I believe, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand what the purpose of that is. But the reality is, as you said, as bad a job as Gase has done, and he's done a bad job, the the biggest culprit here, I think, obviously, um, ownership is terrible. 
But Mike McCagnin was such an incredibly bad GM to the point where you look at his drafts and his free agent signings and you look at who's still on the roster. I was joking about this a few weeks ago. The best receiver that Mike McCagnin drafted in five years was a special teams player who he got in the seventh round, Sharon Peak. right? The best offensive lineman that Mike McCagnin drafted in the five years he was here who was Brandon Shell who was terrible and shouldn't even have been starting. The best edge rusher he got was Jordan Jenkins, who's an okay player, I suppose. You go all the way through this, who's the, be- you know, the, who's the best at every position that he got? And it's just embarrassing. This guy was drafting his entire 2015 draft class. All of them are gone. None of, none of those guys are left. Jordan Jenkins is the only one left from 2016. 2017, Marcus May is still here. It's just every single year you go through where the teams that are successful are the ones that find guys in the mid rounds to contribute. They don't have to be stars, but they have to become starters or at least useful pieces. And the best player that McCagan, we, we, I did a poll on this on Twitter and I said, which of these guys that I'm listing was the best value draft pick for McCagan. Now, I didn't list guys like Jamal Adams because he was picked six, so you expect a blue chipper there. But here were the guys that I came up with. Chris Herndon, picked in the fourth round, who can't catch a pass. Marcus May, who's picked in the second, who's been fine, but he was a second rounder, so it's not amazing value to get a solid safety there, right? Foley Fadakasi in the sixth round, who's a solid player, but whatever. And then the, the last one was Jenkins, who was a third-round pick, and he's like an okay edge rusher. That's all you got. In the five years that McCagnin was here, those were the guys outside of the first round. It's horrendous. And so that's why I have to cut Joe Douglas some slack because Rome wasn't built in a day. Now, we could second-guess some of the decisions. Like we said, Robbie Anderson is the biggest one, no question. The draft, we'll see. Jury's out. I can't kill him because a lot of those guys got hurt. That's impossible to foresee. But he's got a very hefty task ahead of him. He's got a lot of draft picks. He's got a lot of money. It's like I said, this is sort of the Sam Hinkie strategy. If you remember Sam Hinkie, who was the general manager of the 76ers, he just kept getting rid of assets and getting draft picks and getting free agent money. And he kept saying, okay, now I'm going to, now I'm going to spend it. Now I'm going to hit on the draft picks. And that never happened. So Joe Douglas is doing, and, and John Itzik did this too when he was here. Unfortunately, Itzik couldn't execute. That's what's going to be the, the question here. Douglas, I think, in a lot of ways has set them up for potential long-term success by getting all these assets. The question is going to be now whether or not he can hit on them. If he can, the Jets will be in good shape. If he can't, they're screwed, he'll be fired, and it'll be on to the next guy. In 30 seconds, can you tell us how excited you are to play the Buffalo Bills this weekend? Uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you guys about it next week. That's about all I got for you. <laughs> Scott, we love you, sir. Thank you for always being a good sport, coming on here and just take – you're just riding this thing out, and yet you podcast every single day. Why don't you tell them where they can find you on social? Just, just you know, Connor Rogers and Joe Cabaroso both referred to me in a private chat as a quote-unquote maniac, but in a good way for exactly what you just said, that I'm doing these seven-day-a-week Jets podcasts. So as everybody who listens to your show probably knows by now, you can hit me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1, 
and you can listen to the podcast daily, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, all those platforms. And just to really quickly break it down, so Mondays is the post-game report with Andy Vasquez of NorthJersey.com. And we also throw in an NFL draft stock report, which is becoming one of the most popular features we do for obvious <laughs> reasons, with Charlie Campbell from WalterFootball.com. Then on Tuesday, Brian Bassett, who is the godfather of Jets podcast, he and his friends Travis Milton and Josh Conrad do a show called There's Always Next Year, a very aptly named, I would say, where they joke around, they have some serious Jets talk, they play some games, they do some comedy. It's a nice change of pace. Then on Wednesdays, midweek news with Manish Mehta of the Daily News, who is a controversial figure. Everybody knows that, but he did break the Le'Veon Bell story last week. So everybody's got to remember that for all the controversies, Manish does still break plenty of stories. Then Thursdays, Michael Nania from Jets X Factor comes on. We break down the stats. Michael's an incredible stat guy, so it's a lot of fun. He finds things that nobody else finds. He should be working for an NFL team, to be honest with you. Speaking of people that should work for an NFL team, your old friend Joe Blewett comes on on Fridays, and we break down the film. As you know, Joe is great because, A, he's incredible at breaking down the film, and, B, it's my easiest show of the week because all I have to do is say, Joe, what do you think of so-and-so this week? And he talks for 15 minutes, so it's awesome, and you learn a lot about the film. Then on Saturday, we, we do uh, Know Your Foe, which you guys will be on. We take somebody who covers the opposing team, and we take a look at it from that perspective so that everybody has a good idea of what the Jets are up against. And then Sunday, the pregame report and mailbag with Chris Nimbley of JetsInsider.com, as we call him, the very big deal. And Walter Cherpinski from WalterFootball.com joins to give us his gambling tips. So even if... You're like, eh, I don't really care about this pregame report. You want to tune in to get some gambling tips and make some money. From what I understand, Walter's actually up something like $4,000 so far this season. So well worth listening to. So those are the shows on a daily basis. That's my Twitter handle. You know where to find me. You know where to download the show. Boys, as always, a pleasure coming on. Looking forward to talking to you next week. And I'm sure you'll have plenty of jokes at my expense. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents. Fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. And that includes what I have to go through every single week. Watching with somebody who may or may not be shirtless, yelling obscenities, just being your average raging lunatic, and then I'll have to give him a Pepsi to calm down, because Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. But enough talking about teams that suck. We have to talk about a team that, hey, listen... Shock the world. We have Mr. Elfartiaga, three yards per carry on, to talk about his Miami Dolphins in a surprising second place in the AFC East. How are you doing tonight, sir? Good, good. And now we got a new quarterback, too. I know. You guys are making all the headlines. As I crack this one, this is for you, sir. I'm going to sip this beer and I'm going to ask the question. First of all, did you... I guess we got to get the game talk out of the way. Did you... 
you knew you were going to beat the Jets. Everyone yes. knows they're going to beat the Jets. Did you know that you were going to beat them that badly? Uh, yes. <laughs> and 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 if you and if you follow on Twitter, Dolphin fans were freaking out for the better part of that game because they felt like I felt that they didn't play a complete game. They played a quarter and a half and called it a day. If you watch them, they had the ball trying to go in for another score to make it twenty-eight to nothing at halftime. And Fitzpatrick threw a pretty bad pick, forcing it into Mike Gusecki in the end zone. So the second half came around, and the offense just it – was, it was bad. There's no other way to, to say it. They were just bad in the second half. Against San Francisco, they answered with a touchdown, and they kicked a bunch of field goals. But at least they were extending the lead and getting it from 30 to 37 to 40 to 43. But against the Jets, they just ran out the clock from the middle of the second quarter. I didn't hmm. think that they played all that great. Well, then I guess hey, maybe that adds some context. We talked about it in our Rockpile Report podcast this week that I didn't understand. We put Ryan Fitzpatrick in our people who should feel worse than Bills fans, which is what we do after every loss because we're petty. We find other people who are lower and we punch down because that's what you do when you're trying to get over a bad loss. And we talked about Ryan Fitzpatrick and how it seemed like he played a pretty good game. I watched some of the game. I was kind of in and out between the other contests that were going on and shit around the house. So I guess I didn't understand that dynamic of it. But if that's the case, then the thing we're about to talk about makes more sense. But how good does it feel to be sitting in second place in the AFC East when pretty much everyone assumed this division was a two-horse race between Buffalo and New England? Yeah, it's uh, before the season. We kind of talked about it on your podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Like expectations were kind of high. We didn't think that the the Patriots were all that good. That Patriot team that you saw against the the Broncos—that's kind of what we expected. A team that was going to be offensively challenged, but their defense was going to be decent all year. Those type of teams win seven, eight games tops. So we expected to be around there and be better. So we kind of expected to be here, but now it's a little bit different. Like. Now it seems as the expectations are a little bit higher. So now that they have what they feel is an upgrade at quarterback and they should be getting healthy, maybe they should pile on some wins here in the next six games. Well, and that's it because it's two a time. It's the big story. It's the biggest story of the day. We opened the show with Ben Volen from what, what, the Boston Globe. The Boston he, he was Globe. on 790 The Ticket this afternoon. He was talking about this switch and the timing of it and just – First of all, obviously fans are excited. What's your personal view on this move? Good, bad? It was surprising. Uh, That's all I would say. It's extremely surprising. Uh, We didn't think it was going to happen. Now, before the season, we did. Uh, Before the season, I always felt if they had a full preseason that Tua Tungabailoa would win the job and he would be the starter in week one. Kaufman always felt that it was going to take a mediocre start for Ryan Fitzpatrick and that he would probably start in week four or five. So we weren't too far off. Simon, who who knows two of the best, and he actually speaks to his family, always felt that it, they were going to take it really slow. And, he, and if he was going to play this year, he was going to play toward the end of the year. So the way the season had gone on, I always felt we were two bad games in a row from Ryan Fitzpatrick away from seeing Tua. But... Evidently, they just waited for the bye week to get him ready, and now he's starting. 
I'm wearing my Alabama Crimson Tide shirt in honor of Tua Tagovailoa. Like he's, I'm wearing it because it's Tua time. I'm shocked that this is happening. I'm excited for him because I watched him play in college. He's electric. He can do some great things. I'm also worried about some of his projection to the pro game, some of his acclimation to it, and just his health. Obviously, that's the biggest thing. Multiple ankle surgeries, the hip injury that was just gruesome. It it essentially killed our season when he got hurt like that. But knowing all these things, the crazier thing so obviously, any Bills primetime game during the week, I don't go to work the next day because that's... I don't want to do that to my employer. I don't want to be that hungover in the office. I'm, re- I'm a responsible employee. And I feel like if any of them are listening, you should applaud me for that. So I'm sitting at home and I'm prepping for podcasts and I'm watching terrible movies and I'm, I'm, I've got ESPN on. And I'm hearing calls about... They're already talking about teams that should trade for Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's crazy, right? I mean, the Miami Dolphins would never... I understand moving to Tua now. I guess it makes sense in their mind. You wouldn't trade away the only insurance policy you have against injury or ineffectiveness, would you? No, I wouldn't trade him in for nothing. Uh, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is the perfect mentor and backup quarterback. I think now he... I think the Dolphins, I don't know, maybe... There's somebody out there I don't know about. But I think the Dolphins have the best backup quarterback in the NFL right now in Ryan Fitzpatrick. So that's not something I would trade. He's not here for a lot of money. So absolutely, I would not trade him for – it has to be something, like, that would knock our socks off. And let's face it, the Cowboys, like, are they really going to dig deep? Especially after trading so many picks for wide receivers and and such. At this point, what are the Cowboys going to do? I mean, they're – yeah. We, we we had a good laugh at their expense. I mean, there was a video that went viral of uh, some guy who, li- hilariously enough, he's listening to Return of the Mac by Mark Anthony in the background of this video as he throws a beer at his TV during half t- at halftime of last night's uh, Cowboys, uh, Cowboys Cardinals game. He throws a beer at his TV, he punches the screen out, throws the TV on the floor, and then... F- Pulls a pistol out and shoots like five rounds directly into the TV and the floor of his home. Like, <laughs> that franchise is so bad. There's no. What is trading for Fitzpatrick going to do? <laughs> yeah, like what's the. Like what is the point? You know what that's, I mean? that's, that's trying to paint a turd. You're, you're not fixing anything there. I just. I heard that and it struck me as funny. Now, obviously, knowing what we know about Tua, or at least about Tua's upside, and you being at Dolphins training camp, got it, having gotten a front row seat to watching him play the game of football at a pro level with backup players, because I know he didn't get a lot of run with the ones, do you think that he's ready? Well, he's going to have to be, right? <laughs> but it's been it's been a while since training camp, which is the last time that I saw him because of, you know, there's something going on in the world that I don't know what what it's about, but I can't, yeah. I can't get to practice to watch <laughs> them. And they're closed practice, so you can't see what they're working on. But evidently, he has to be ready because it's just a bye week, and then it's a 3-3 three and three team that's very much in the playoff chase, and he's being handed the reins. So if if we're just going on what I saw in practice in training camp, he should be ready. 
but it's going to be completely different when you know it's live fire in a couple of weeks and the pressure's on to actually win football games. Oh, of course. I mean, this was the thing that we talked about. Is this the right time for the Miami Dolphins to make this move? I mean, you've got upcoming games against probably most the Rams, the Cardinals, and the Chargers. Most interesting out of that group is probably the Chargers because it's the quarterback who was taken right shortly after him in Justin Herbert. And he has been, but even though the wins haven't been there, he's pushed the Chargers to better offensive performance than Tyrod Taylor was going to do. So he's now starting for them for the rest of the season. Now Tua steps in. The two of them, that's going to be a game that gets some juice. That's going to be a game that I'm going to have... I'm probably going to make that the game we watch while the Bills game's on, just because I think that that's, there's something there. But ultimately, these are three teams that can score a lot of points. Is there any concern that entering a phase of the season where your opponents, these three in a row, where you're holding second place in the division, you're a playoff team right now, these teams are going to try to turn these games into track meets. So there's not going to be a lot of room for Tua to come in and have growing pains. Do you think this is the best time for that type of a move? Yeah, I would expect teams to throw the kitchen sink at at Tua. But here's the thing. If, if we're back to his evaluation coming out of college, this is not a guy that you want to blitz. No. And, and he is mobile inside the pocket, and he does – sense pressure knows when to get rid of it and i know it's only been two plays but you could see the second play against the jets his that throw that is very high level stuff right there Mm -hmm. he went through all four progressions stepped up into the pocket and delivered what is our was our only third down conversion against the new york jets so which was odd it wasn't a stellar day for you guys (laughs) It wasn't a third, it wasn't a stellar day for anyone on third down. I mean, no. I, I, the thing that blew my mind, like looking statistically, we were actually just joking around with the uh, Jets podcaster Scott Mason about it. They they didn't get their first conversion until there was five seconds left in the first half. That that shocked me, but it didn't because I was like, oh shit, yeah, you guys are still the Jets. But watching that, it's like, wow, I didn't realize the Dolphins, based on the score, I didn't know until after the game that you guys kind of struggled in that regard. Oh, it was it was bad. Uh, <clears throat> they couldn't convert third downs, and you know, how I much don't of know. that it do was you it think? was it was just bad. You no, know, but how much of that stalling out in the second half or the second quarter, and then having the third down struggles? Do you think that kind of after seeing, we, we talk about it every time you come on this show, the Jekyll and Hyde nature of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Do you think that combined with the hot start and then just the cool finish they saw taking place, do you think that maybe did a lot to make up their minds that, hey, now's the time? Because Ryan Fitzpatrick will 500 this team to death. Yeah, and maybe it was that second half. And there was other plays this season where you watched and and you said, you know what, there's more there. And Fitzpatrick is actually missing people. That Seattle game, I still maintain a better quarterback, probably wins that game. The defense had played well enough to hold Russell Wilson to 17 points late into that fourth quarter. And then all of a sudden you have a quarterback imploding and you lose that game going away when you had every opportunity to take leads against them late. So... If you're going to hang one game on him, absolutely, you could probably hang the Seattle game. 
but they're also digging a little bit deeper into the film and they're probably watching some things they want to get to that they just can't get to with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, and that's it. When you look at the weapons you have now, you've got a Gasicki, you've got a dynamic tight end who's leading the league in contested catches at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's shocking to me. When you watch, I mean, I guess it shouldn't shock anyone. I mean, Adam Gase is, of course, we've established Adam Gase is the, uh, what, he chokes talent to death? Yeah. <laughs> He's the touch of death for any offensively talented player. The reverse King Midas. Yeah, everything he touches turns to garbage. That's that's how that works. So you've got this tight end. You've got two good wide receivers. You've got things in place where you can you could see a team with better quarterback play and the way the defense is starting to gel. This is a team that's dangerous. And maybe with better quarterback play, who knows? Maybe you're... I'm starting to get nervous. I really am, Chris. Watching the way they're gelling. And I said it before. Back in the preseason. Do not let the Miami Dolphins be the team that laps you in their rebuilding process. Yeah, you, you, don't want it to, it. you don't want it to be like the Maple Leafs to the Sabres. <laughs> that's for sure. But I want I want Miami to be better because I. that's what I grew up on was those Kelly Marino rivalries. And that's what I want with Josh Allen and Tua Tunga Viola. Elf, what are yes. you guys working on during your bye week? And what are you specifically looking for coming out of the bye for this Miami team? Well, uh, they got to start getting healthy. It, it has to start there. That Jet game saw a bunch of guys go to the to the, to the the locker room. Raekwon McMillan went to the locker room. We're down to three defensive tackles. We like all three of them, but we're going to need a fourth because Devon Godshaw is out for the year. He got hurt a couple games back. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, if, I don't know if you saw what Tom Pelissero was saying, but they made a bid on Snacks Harrison, who would have been a nice pickup for the Dolphins. But he turned down the Dolphins and the Bucks, so it wasn't about not wanting to play here. He didn't want to play even for a Super Bowl contender in Tampa Bay. He wants to make his debut with Seattle in a couple of weeks. So they're obviously out there looking for help on the defensive line. They need it because they've, they've taken some injuries here, so all, all I'm really worried about for the next two weeks is, I guess, have Tua buried into those books, into the playbook, work out with those receivers, get your timing down, and then just get healthy. Fantastic, sir. Where can people find you on social, and what do you guys have during the bye week over at 3 Yards Per Carry? Well, if you could go right now to at 3 Yards Per Carry, you'll find a complete dumpster fire in my mentions. But <laughs> I love it, though. I love petty. Guys, you know us. We're the Pettiest Bills podcast. I love it when you... Listen, remember, our, our followers on Twitter will know the Barnwell episode, where Barnwell thought he'd set fire to our Twitter, and it didn't work, and we gained followers out of it. The same thing's happening to Elf over there, apparently. Yes, yes. I've gained followers since this thing has started. <laughs> so... You know, and I did it absolutely intentionally, but you know, just don't go out there with an absolutely insane take, right? No, but if that's ESPN. Go, hey, none, those guys have interns doing their work for them. I don't respect. But if you're going to go on ESPN, look, because you know you could deduce what you're saying, right? So I asked a simple question. I wasn't completely out of line. They were saying, it, as a matter of fact, that, that was how they were framing it, right? The Dolphins have the worst offensive line in football. And this is a terrible decision by Brian Flores. And because it's a terrible decision by Brian Flores, he's going to get Tua Tungavailoa killed. That was their take. So I asked him, okay, either both of you are completely wrong or Brian Flores is an idiot. Tell me which one. 
And then, of course, everything kicked off because well, they you can't what. answer that question. If they're if they're ballsy enough to say that they have the worst offensive line in football, they have not watched a Buffalo Bills football game. <laughs> Elf, we love you. Thanks for taking the time, brother. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides you powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with our free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. All right, and to pick this podcast back up where we started, I mean, Freud. it's... It's what we do here, right? Yeah. Chris, we live to kind of embrace the suffering that's going on around us, specifically for these moments, especially when our team is taking a beating. Yeah. We bring Mike DeBate from Lockdown Patriots. You guys lost to the Broncos 18 to 12. How are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, after uh, a couple of intense therapy i think we're all getting through it here in new england no look bottom line gentlemen you know it's, it was a uh, surprising loss uh if you would have told me before the game that you're going to hold denver to albeit six field goals from brandon mcmanus i would have thought the patriots would have won this one going away but uh, a lot of offensive issues on sunday and uh you know not a lot of time to write the ship with the san francisco 49ers uh, you know staring them right in the face so, uh, yeah, difficult loss, but uh, the Patriots will ultimately have to pick up the pieces and carry on. Where they're actually carrying right now is anybody's guess. But at the moment, you know, they're, they're weathering through it and they're getting through it. <laughs> I mean, I want a fan pulse check because we've never been able to really confront Patriots fans about their just... There's been almost like an elitist attitude by Patriots fans over the years just because you guys have gotten so used to winning everything. So right now, is there fear in Foxborough? I mean, in losing to the Broncos, the Patriots snapped a streak that had previously been the longest in NFL history. The number of games played without being below 500 in or after the month of October. 225 games from the second month of football on, which is lunacy to think about. Chris, 225 games while never trailing in the standings. Never. Being below 500. The last time they hit that mark, 2002. They lost at home to the Denver Broncos on October 27th. They went 9-7 and seven that season and missed the playoffs. How hard are Patriots fans taking this loss? 
Uh, I would say in stride based on Patriots fan standards, and that's probably kind of an oxymoron, but I'll explain that. Um, I think in a lot of ways, I think Patriots fandom had uh, resigned itself to taking a bit of a step back this year, Uh, not just because of the departure of Tom Brady either, because Cam Newton coming in definitely dispelled a lot of that negativity or a lot of that um, uh, malaise that Patriots fans were starting to have about the upcoming season. I think they realized that when they took a look at the fact that maybe they didn't upgrade the positional, the skill position players as much as the fans would have liked to have seen. Uh, you look at the opt-outs that they've had on defense. I think Patriots fans, for the most part, were trying to gear themselves up for a difficult season, a season that would lead them into maybe struggling to get above five hundred at times and and in a lot of ways i think this game against denver was kind of an anomaly most patriots fans expected them to come out on top here but ultimately you look at this and you say okay two and three patriots fans are not happy with that but i think if you looked at the first five games um with an objective eye i think most patriots fans would have looked at it and said yeah it won't surprise me to see them three and two at this point so one off that mark yeah Pats fans are not dealing with that well but ultimately not being five and oh or even four and two at this point uh, I don't think is much of a surprise to anyone that really took a look at the way this roster is constituted well I guess that's the thing when you dive into what that game was it was the antithesis of what we call Bilicekian I mean first of all Bill doesn't lose at home in October that's it's unheard of secondly Ball security issues. Usually the Patriots are the team taking advantage of your mistakes. When you play them, they are the team that preys on your mistakes. They entered the week with three fumbles, and they added another, but they put the ball on the ground four times. And Cam threw two interceptions, which you're not used to seeing from a Patriots quarterback. And then they failed to capitalize on their opponent's mistakes, which is, again, a very Belichickian thing. Drew Locke threw two interceptions in the final six minutes to the point where I tweeted out, I'm sick and tired of watching teams shoot themselves in the groin every time they play the New England Patriots. I'm tired of it. Can someone please seal the deal? And yet somehow (laughs) your team only generated six points off of those two interceptions. What happened here? Well, that's the that's the unpatriot like quality of exactly what happened. I think you take a look at it and you say, why do teams constantly shoot themselves in the foot against the New England Patriots? The Patriots are probably one of the best football teams in the last two decades at being able to capitalize on mistakes, forcing great players, forcing great teams at times. And I'm not saying Balt, I'm not saying that Denver is is in that you know category. They played very well on Sunday. They deserve a lot of credit for coming into New England and playing the way they did. But at the same time. New England has a tendency to force those issues. They can force teams to see "quote unquote" ghosts. We saw it with Sam Darnold last year. Drew they, Locke threw forty-one percent. Drew Locke had a forty-one percent completion percentage. You guys did a yeah. great job in the secondary. Absolutely, and the secondary is still the strength of this team. And the linebacker cores actually played very well on Sunday. Juwan. Bentley, I give him a lot of credit for stepping in where Dante Hightower was normally in that role. He did a fine job, but ultimately the Patriots could not capitalize offensively. The offensive line that they employed on Sunday is a makeshift crew. They had some talented players, but they're playing out of position. Joe Tooney is playing at a center position for only the second time in his professional career. You've got Jermaine Illuminor, who is actually, you know, really a, a backup piece who's done a very good job this year go down at the right guard position and 
And now all of a sudden, you're shifting guys all over the place. Someone like Yelda Froholt, who hasn't played all that much, very, very sparingly when it comes to first professional action. This is the most time he's seen on a professional football field. He played pretty decent, but it's it's a young guy. You've got a rookie in Justin Heron playing on the left side. Uh, they had to move Isaiah Wynn over to guard, and they had Heron at a tackle. This is just a very makeshift offensive line. It's not the normal cohesion that you see from the New England Patriots. Cam looked rusty. I'll be the first to admit it. He looked like he struggled a little coming back from missing uh, a couple of weeks. He wasn't stepping into his throws the way he normally did. Uh, there were some throws that he left out there on the table. Uh, his wide receiver core is definitely not giving him the help that he needs. The tight end production is virtually non-existent for this team. And the running back core had a very pedestrian day, even though they've played pretty well this season. So all those things together make a perfect stew for the other team to be able to capitalize and take advantage. And that's exactly what you saw with the, uh, with the Denver Broncos. They did have some great moments in this game. They played pretty well, but ultimately the Patriots not capitalizing on opportunities that they usually feast upon really was the difference in this game. I, I, there's, I, we were talking about it. There's some poor schmuck out there who got their ass handed to them in fantasy football because they were playing <laughs> McManus who was just allowed to kick field goal after field goal after field goal. I mean, the, the Broncos' offense was pretty inept, and the fact that they have a, such a good kicker really won them the game. My question at this point, are we over the Cam Newton honeymoon phase? I, I just want to run this down. Two and two, you're 500 now as a starter for the team, but just who just lost to a one-win team. I, I, I feel like emotions might be a little high. He has two passing touchdowns through five games and two interceptions. Is that better or worse than your expectation coming into the season? Uh, I would say it's probably about at my expectation. And believe it or not, that's no disrespect to Cam at all. I think there was going to be a little bit of a growing pain in terms of him coming in, learning a new system, not having much time to acclimate. I mean, there's been a very small, uh, very, uh, uh, you know, pedestrian type of training camp that we saw. It didn't have the same preparation time, no preseason. Asking a player who's as talented as Cam, who I think has come in and done as good a job as anybody can, picking up an offense and being able to, uh, you know, utilize his strengths in that offense very well but that preparation time definitely does cause issues and it's one thing that worried me a little bit coming into the season and one of the reasons why I continued to give Buffalo the edge even after Cam was signed and people were thinking oh well now that's it Patriots are back in the driver's seat for the uh, the the, um, the division I kept saying no not exactly don't necessarily think that just yet that's not a knock to Cam it's not that I don't think he's capable of leading this team but Buffalo's a much more cohesive unit they've played together a little longer they know each other a little bit better and they've had time to work together as a cohesive unit patriots simply haven't had that so i think it's probably about where i expected uh as for your question about the honeymoon period uh i think a lot of it's going to depend on how cam comes out this week if you see cam newton come out and play the way he did the first couple of weeks and really look very comfortable in this offense lead them be able to get this team downfield and be able to put points on the board all will be forgiven pretty quickly but if he struggles for the third time in a row then you're going to start to see fans start to maybe erode some of that positivity that they had about Cam early on. So I think this is a big game for him coming up on Sunday. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I look, 
I charted this all out because I'm sitting here just soaking it up. If I had had a piece of bread, I could have sopped up every bit of that, <laughs> every bit of that Patriots Broncos game. I look at Cam's performance on Sunday. First of all, he was bragged about everyone bragged about his mobility, but his lack of pocket awareness actually has him as the second highest sacked quarterback in terms of sack percentage per snap of any quarterback outside of the division, but Sam Darnold who is literally just fighting for his life. He's trying to tread water, holding a brick. That's what that kid's doing. So I feel bad for him. <laughs> and he's only 0.3% higher than Cam. I mean, imagine preseason, I told you, Ryan Fitzpatrick would be evading sacks at a higher rate than Cam Newton. That would blow everyone's mind. He's also second to last in the AFC's in net yards gained per pass attempt. Which makes sense when you look at the skill positions around him. He's all, the, the, the Patriots don't have a lot of passing weapons. But watching Sunday and just giving it the eye test, he didn't look good. He didn't respond well to pressure in the final seven or eight minutes. He had some Josh Allen 2018 plays where I, I know everyone's everyone's panning him for the, the throw to, I think it was Nikhil Harry on fourth down. But he had much he had much bigger passes and whiffs and misses. I mean, balls into wide receivers' feet, passes five feet out in front of them, behind them. In some cases, he you'd see if he thought a receiver was about to turn a corner and they just went the other way and he had to kind of pull it down and try to run. Is he dependent on the rushing attack and play action pass at this point? I think there's a little bit of reliance on it, to be honest with you. That's one of the things that if I had a criticism on Cam, I probably would give to him. The other is he's holding on to the football a little longer than I ever expected him to. And I don't know if that's just unfamiliarity. I don't know if maybe it's because of guys running the wrong route. You mentioned the fourth and ten play, the last play of the game for the Patriots. Uh, when you look at that play... You can see Nikhil Harry cut back inside, even though technically the ball was to the outside. The defender was leading him there. I think that's where Cam anticipated Nikhil throwing that football, and that led to some miscommunication. I put a little bit of the blame on Cam on that because I think the throw needs to be better, but I put a little blame on that on Nikhil as well. It looked like he started to incorrectly run the route, and then when he tried to adjust for it, it was a little bit too late. The ball was already sailed, and that that uh, opportunity had gone by. But, yeah, I agree with you when it comes to him holding on to the football. Uh, his footwork was not solid. That was the worst footwork I've seen out of him for the, uh, the, the first games that I've seen him in a New England Patriots uniform. So with a week of practice coming back from the COVID diagnosis, there are a lot of reasons why you can look at Cam right now and say, okay, he just had a bad day, he had a subpar day. He'll be back. He's got the talent to do it. Conventional wisdom will absolutely tell you that. Um, I believe he will. I, I think he's got the wherewithal, and I think he's still got um, all of the uh, the intangibles and the traits to be able to lead this team correctly. But again, I think this Sunday is going to be a big telltale game for him. If he struggles in any way or the Patriots really have trouble putting uh, points on the board, then I think you're going to see a lot of those whispers get a little bit louder. And that's not going to be an easy test. San Francisco still has a pretty good defense the last I checked. So, you know, there's still a lot that needs to happen, but uh, the Patriots are going to need a solid week of practice. And I think then you can really get a fair evaluation of exactly where this team might be at really the, the six-game mark at this point. And that's the scary thing if you're New England Patriots. You're going up against a team that San Francisco just got some of its horses back. They've been beat up. Their record doesn't reflect the overall talent of the team. And you, they're a team that you just watched go out there. Chris, 
How good are the Rams? Uh, I think they're pretty good. They're good enough to take us to the wire to come back from, what, 20? Yeah, McVay is a brilliant offensive mind. Okay, so they can throw the ball. Yes. That team held the Rams, essentially held them down, pounded them with the rushing attack, some timely throws to George Kittle, and next thing you know, they're they're running away with a Sunday Night Football game. Now they're going to come to Foxborough. Now, I understand the time zone difference. I understand the travel. Maybe they won't have as much chutzpah as they normally would. (laughs) But with that said, this is a team that is getting healthier and clearly has the talent to suppress passing attacks, which is almost kind of scary if you think about the fact that the Patriots passing attack isn't working already. You're going to go up against a really tough opponent with a championship pedigree I just, I worry for you guys what's going to happen. I mean, your two wins, one more loss could put you guys in that two and four column. And at that point, you're almost looking at what you you have a very slim, you have the slimmest margin of error of anyone else left in the division. I mean, the Jets have already punted on the season. That's That's done. The Dolphins are inexplicably ahead of you guys. How big is this game for the Patriots? It's a big one. It's probably one of the bigger games uh, in October for the Patriots in a good long while. And, you know, this is a team that sputtered out of the gate a couple of times. We've seen the Patriots have those moments where all of a sudden they'll drop a couple and people think that the dynasty is over, the team is done, and, uh, you know, ding-dong, the witch is dead types thing. But in a lot of ways, they've always been able to come back from it. I don't necessarily know if they fall to two and four this Sunday if that's a hole that this team can dig its its way out of so I I agree with you I think this is a very big game for them Uh, they're facing a a lot and uh, again those whispers uh, about you know some uncertainty some you know difficulties they're only going to get louder if this team sputters at uh, at two and four so this is going to be a big game and a tough game because like you said San Francisco is starting to get healthy Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo looked a lot better two weeks ago everybody was leaving the poor guy out in the cold and all of a sudden now he comes out tosses a pretty decent game and now the 49ers have an offense that can put points on the board combined with a defense that can make stops when you need to like you said suppress a passing attack which the Patriots passing attack has not been all that impressive this year so it's going to be it's a tough environment it's going to be a tough game and we'll see we'll see what ends up happening but uh, there's a lot at stake for the Pats in this one I can't wait to watch that game I'm actually more excited to watch that game than I am the Bills game this weekend Mike, why don't you tell us what you have coming up this week at Locked On Patriots and where everyone can find you on social? Uh, it's uh, Pat's Niners, uh, really, really all week long now. Uh, we're still sprinkling in a little Broncos talk. Of course, there'll be some sprinkling in of the weapons with a Z that all the fans want to bring in, whether it's going to be A.J. Green, Julio Jones, uh, John <laughs> Ross is being mentioned. Uh, I personally don't put any stock into any of that. I think the Patriots are pretty much going to go with the cupboard they have unless they bring in a couple of you know role players here and there. But again, that's just my opinion. You can catch me each and every day on the Locked On Patriots podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you just wherever you consume your podcasts, download Locked On Patriots, along with a lot of the other great uh, podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network. Scott, Alf, Mike Debate, they all do great jobs with their teams. Even Scott, whose team is the one of the worst I've ever seen 
in my adult life. Chris, it's one of those things that boggles the mind that when your team is as bad as his, yeah. he somehow, like a tick, has burrowed deeper into podcasting. Yeah. It's it, all you can do. I, I, I honestly, I've got some respect for him. I feel like Wes Mantooth at the end of Anchorman, where he's like, God, I hate you. But man, do I respect what you're doing because that's lunacy. I wouldn't do it. And then we have to talk about our Buffalo Bills. With the help of Cover One's Greg Thompson, we broke down what was a pretty bleak performance by the Buffalo Bills against the Kansas City Chiefs this past week. But we managed to find a few silver linings. And I can't believe that those words just came out of my mouth. But I think it's because I've had a little bit of time to decompress. Not enough time. The bigger question here is whether or not these two gut-wrenching losses, whether you can bounce back from them or not. Even though it feels bigger than that, it is ultimately two games out of 16. Even if it did kill me inside a little bit watching it happen, we still have a division race to look at. First of all, Chris, out of all these teams we're playing now, all these teams in our division, who scares you? None of them. Okay, that's exactly the answer I was looking for. Who who among you, listening to this right now, raise your hand, whether you're at your desk at work, in your car, whatever... Who among you, raise a hand, is scared of anyone else in this division? I mean, even playing sub-championship caliber football, watching what else is going on around us, are you concerned that we don't have the talent to at least be in the conversation to win the division from now all the way through December? Because I'll tell you, I'm not. What about you? Say that again. Are you concerned that we don't have the horses to go the distance and win this thing? No. We're the most talented team, position by position. No, a lot of them haven't lived up to it. No, we're a team We're a team on the rise, and you're upset the last two weeks of losing to the AFC Championship game from, from last year. And they're, they're measuring stick games, and we got a couple of them coming up, because after the Jets, then we got the, the Patriots and the Seahawks. The reality is the Buffalo Bills are already 2-0 in AFC's contests. In the next month, we'll have an opportunity to get to 4-0 in the AFC East. There's an increasingly one-dimensional Patriots team that, as injuries crop up, have some legitimate questions to answer, as we just discussed with Mike. We have a Jets team that, by all accounts, might not, might not be one of the worst rosters this year, but one of the worst rosters ever, ever in the history of football. Let that say, football goes back to the 20s and the 30s. This might be the worst team of all time. I mean, going back to the day when they used to run the wishbone formation. Yeah, maybe Adam Gay should start doing that. I'm sure it's coming. At this point, I'll believe anything. But also, to hell with the Super Bowl talk. The division needs to be the focus of this football team. We just got shown. I mean, forget the fact that the league's heavyweights just slapped the shit out of us. KC has already beaten two of the AFC East better teams now, the Patriots and the Bills. And they're likely to keep mowing their way through the division, right? Correct. The Titans. We ran into them by virtue of our schedule, and they were a highly motivated team under weird circumstances. I don't know what to make of any of that. The thing that I hate about that is I believe Mike Vrabel is becoming one of the better coaches 
in football. Yeah, well, you know what he can't do? Is figure out how to tell his kids to shut the bathroom door when they're pooping during the draft. <laughs> All right? Let's not forget that. He's the guy who had somebody pooping in his house. Yeah. Come on. Who has an open-door policy? I know. Who just allows that in their home? It's draft night. You know what? Tonight, we're going to do open-door dumping. Chris, <laughs> I'm a monster. I close the bathroom door when I poop. As you should. <laughs> You as the Buffalo Bills need to find a way to regain your identity as a football team. Because winning the AFC East, while obviously made more difficult with those two losses, is and always was the goal for this season. Right? Yeah. Playoff The caliber. Super Bowl talk came out of everyone else's mouths. We as Bills fans sat here and talked about how we were uncomfortable with the amount of praise that was being heaped on this team. I think we were uncomfortable with how well our offense started. Yeah. That's uncomfortable. We haven't seen that in years. And and so even though you just watched two losses that make you want to go outside and discharge a firearm in the air like your Willem Dafoe in Boondock Saints, yeah, even though you just saw that, it doesn't change the fact that you are still the best positioned team to go out there and win your division. So go out there and do it because your margin of error is now very small. Our Week 7 outlook, the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets. We are playing away at New Jersey, and Chris, you go win this game. We didn't even bother really recapping it during the Rockpile Report. No, we didn't. Because there was no point. I mean, for all the hyperbole from fans on social media this week who are pissed off that we lost to the Chiefs, regardless of how badly our roster plays, you should be able to beat this team, right? Yeah, we could. you could assemble the Buffalo podcasters. We could probably take on New Jersey. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. How great do you think Greg Thompson would be on that offense? Well, you Nate, and, you Nate, and him on the offensive line, Geary at quarterback. I was going to say, Nate Geary's obviously going to play Eric, quarterback. Yeah, Eric Turner at running back. Eric Turner at running back. Me at wide receiver. Um, Ryan Lasel, Rock Sports Network. He can hold a clipboard. <laughs> You're ruthless. You're ruthless, sir. <laughs> Mario Granada. Backup quarter. Is he a backup? Yeah, he's backup to Nate he's Geary. He's backing up Nate Geary he's from back, WGR yeah. 550. Yeah. Geary's younger. He's younger. He's Mar- Mario's got a, his arm is shot. His arm is shot. He's got a, he, we have questions of commitment. Yeah. Just given the fact Paul, that he's. Pa- Paul Vineski would be up in the booth with a calculator, <laughs> clipboard, a bunch of pens. Oh, my God. No, I, I mean it. This team is. Is a pushover. Going to 5-2 and two would still leave the Bills first in the AFC East, fifth in the AFC, and in position to continue a push to the postseason. So the last two games, yes, they, they're losses. And they feel huge in the psyche of Bills fans. But ultimately, they're two games. And you can't win a Super Bowl in one week, and you can't lose it either. Miami is a bye week, but they've got a lot of work to do to get Tua ready to hit the ground running. Because if they stumble out of that bye, Chris... Let's say they go one and two against pretty stiff competition. Yeah. Is it going to be like us with Peterman and, and Tyrod? Like, oh. It has the potential. Yeah. Oh, we're sorry. We're going to go back to Fitz because, you know, we're still in the thick of things for playoffs. If you go one and two and you end up being a team that's four and five, you're already looking at now you're a wild card team. Yeah. You're a wild card team. And they have that added team in this year. Yes. They added a wild card. And then the New England Patriots, home against San Francisco. They come into the game 
they look like a struggling unit that's been banged up for weeks, and then they, but they're still good enough to tune up the Rams on Sunday Night Football. They handed them their asses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timely interceptions. Their linebackers played stiff at the point of attack. San Francisco looks like a team that's finally getting over their injury bug, and even though they're not getting their elite front seven talent back, they're still good enough to compete. Then, I don't know how anyone's supposed to feel good about your team's odds when you lose to a group of, you lose to a group of players who never sniff the end zone. Chris, the Patriots lost a game where they never, their opponent didn't score a touchdown. Yeah, it's a bunch of, you know someone bunch of out field there, goals from McManus. You know someone out there, multiple someones, got absolutely screwed. Because in fantasy football, they played McManus. Yeah. McManus had kicks from 54, 52, 48, 42. It's like a 20-plus point day from a kicker. The Patriots are going to try. They're going to try to keep pace in the AFC's race, which it's still... Chris, can we talk about how weird it is to talk about the Patriots struggling to keep pace? Yeah. This late, end of October. A loss... Dropping them to two and four could be devastating to team morale, to fan morale, their division title hopes, and their fan streak of getting to root for them in the postseason. And I am here for all of it. <laughs> Chris, we are some petty sons of bitches. And yeah, with that are. said, this is let's big shout out to everyone who showed up tonight. This was a great show. It's probably one of the most fun episodes of this show I've gotten to record. I don't even know why. Because the Jets are bad and the <laughs> Patriots are getting bad. Either way, I love it, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. Those were our guests. That's Chris Kruger, and this has been your AFC East Roundup. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win in this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.